Welcome aboard and buckle up. You're now listening to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. Now, let's dive in, go deep, share ideas, and take a good look at what we in the benefits industry can do to accelerate the shift to the member-first economy. And now, live from Zero Studios, your host, the more infamous than famous, Jim Milloway. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shift Happens with me, Jim Milloway. This is an in-depth look at what we in the benefits industry can do to accelerate the shift to the member-first economy. It's an evolved mindset that uses modern approaches, customer delight, data analytics, and the best possible experience to shift this industry where it needs to be. My name is Jim Milloway. I'm the CEO at ZeroCard, and I'll be your host. I'm so excited to introduce our special guest today, Dr. Brian Klepper, a longtime industry leader, a huge advocate for the shift we're going to be discussing during the show today. So Brian's been involved in several transformative healthcare efforts, all favoring patient and healthcare purchaser interests. His 2009 testimony to an HHS panel resulted in the revocation of an industry group's monopoly on health information technology certification. In 2010 to 2013, Brian spearheaded a national effort culminating in a lawsuit against CMS and HHS to expose the AMA's RBRVS update committee's role in distorting both U.S. healthcare costs and care patterns. Brian's a regular contributor to the healthcare trade press. He's a reviewer for the Journal of Health Affairs and the Journal of Ambulatory Care Management and an advisor to several healthcare organizations. That's a whole bunch of accolades. And on top of that, our good friend Lee Lewis claims that Brian can not only see in the dark, he can also breathe underwater. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone, a big welcome to Brian. Let's get started and shift this. Brian, I couldn't be more excited about the conversation we're gonna have today. For the things I missed, right, or the things we wanna highlight, if you could tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, first, let's talk about Lee. I was a Navy research diver, and I can vouch for the fact that I cannot breathe underwater. Okay. Um, the, um, the, for the, I'm delighted to be here. I, this, you know, I think the world of Jim Milloway and, and the things that he's done, and so it's very simpatico. Um, for the last, for the first 25 years of my career in healthcare, I was very focused on, on the, the, the market dynamics and, and policy dynamics that caused the, the cost crisis, the cost and quality crisis. And then I had a series of experiences and came out of those and decided that what I really wanted to do was go out and find healthcare companies that got dramatically better health outcomes and or much lower costs than conventional approaches particularly in high value niches. And so I have pursued that path and we can talk about that some more today. Yeah, let's do. So let's talk about high performance healthcare. And by high performance, the, the definition they wanna use is that combination you just talked about. So delivering way better health outcomes for way lower prices. So tell us when you think of a world of high performance healthcare, what that means to you. What I'm looking for are, I mean, I, I get five calls a, a week from organizations that want to tell me how wonderful they are. And um, then I, I do a deep dive on them, and I'm looking to see whether they consistently deliver 
better health outcomes and or much lower costs, particularly in high value niches compared with, with usual, usual approaches. This can be both, they, they can be both clinical solutions or financial solutions. So they run the gamut from musculoskeletal care management, cardiometabolic care management, cancer management, uh, imaging, drug management, claims review, large claims resolution, the places where health, where the healthcare money really is and where you can have a tremendous impact. And the, the thesis is, is that if you use organizations like this, you get dramatic impacts on quality and cost with, without, without changing anything else. You know, Brian, everyone gets bombarded, right? So the employers in this ecosystem, the advisors in this ecosystem, for every, for every five phone calls that you get, how many people, how many people are opting out because they don't want to answer the hard questions, right? And, and how many of those five calls do you actually find a solution that can deliver on the drastically improved outcomes and or the drastically lower cost? One in 30, maybe. One in 30. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the number is, but it, it's not very many. I end up talking to a lot of people and I, and I end up working with very few. Um, but the ones that I have found are breathtakingly spectacular. And, and, and I should give you some examples of those to yeah. sort of drive home the point. Yeah, give um, us a couple, if you can give us a couple examples, if you have an example of someone that's, that's hitting on all cylinders on the outcomes and cost, maybe someone that's, that's just crushing it in terms of outcomes and someone that's just remarkable from a cost standpoint. Well, let's talk about a, a musculoskeletal management company out of Tallahassee, Florida called Integrated Musculoskeletal Care, um, IM, or IMC. IMC was, was built by two very senior physical therapists who were practitioners of a subdiscipline of physical therapy called the McKenzie method, also, also referred to as mechanical diagnosis and therapy. Um, it comes out of New Zealand, it's very credible, but the thing that really gives it its, its oomph is that it has a very accurate diagnostic methodology. So it'll, it'll show very clearly what the, what the source of the, of the musculoskeletal problem is. IMC opened 20 years ago a very vanilla practice that was focused on practicing that form of physical therapy. And over time, it evolved organically. They, they, used, they, they, they put it together against the continuous quality improvement framework. So they identified the key performance indices and on all of those metrics, they watched the numbers on every intervention they did. And when the numbers didn't look right, they stopped they rethought their model, they course corrected their treatment pathway, and everything improved. And, and they were always moving it forward like that. So in a period of a very few years, some, something like six to eight years, the model organically evolved into something very different than what it had been originally, and the numbers are spectacular. They now have clients like Michelin, Whole Foods Market, the Army, um, they've got some, some very other, other very large companies that are coming on and the data show unequivocally, they've got a, they've got a million, more than a million patient encounters under their belt. And the data show unequivocally that they get 
dramatically better health outcomes, pain reduction, range of motion, activities of daily living, in half the recovery time and at half the cost of conventional orthopedics. It's dramatic. They are so confident in their ability to perform well that they'll they'll offer a 25% reduction guarantee on the on the work on the patients they touch. So if you do the math, that 25% reduction translates to a guaranteed four to 6% of total healthcare spend. But the real savings is more likely to be eight to 12% reduction with way better outcomes. Um, if you talk to the people at Michelin who've been using them now for about nine years, they will tell you they're not just, just bolted on to, to Michelin, they're welded on. Anywhere in the world that Michelin goes, these guys are going with them. And that's because musculoskeletal is, is 20% of group health and 65% of OC health costs. It ends up being about 27, 28% of total spend. It's a big deal. So if, a, if, a, if a company does that one thing and they're a sizable company, it will translate to not only better health outcomes, but millions and millions of dollars of savings by doing it a better way. Yeah, you know, so, so that's great. And we've talked about them before and, and I've long been an admirer of that approach. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned earlier from experience, we know it's a pretty hot button issue. Who are you seeing outside of orthopedics? Like, who are you seeing that's, who are you seeing that's able to deliver on this promise in a pharmacy space? Um, there are a number of organizations that, I, that I'm, I'm looking at right now and that I'm, I've been working with. Uh, the, the key is to have an organization that doesn't, um, that, that doesn't have hidden fees. I mean, the, the back, before we go there, the, the, yeah. the context is healthcare has created a, has created a culture of excess over treatment and, and egregious unit pricing. And that has become what everybody does. And they do it because if they don't do it, they, they not only do it, but they depend on it because if they don't, if they don't do stuff that's, that is inappropriate and unnecessary, they can't keep their financials up. So that, that is, that's a cultural problem that we have in healthcare. And if you, and what has, what is happening now is that organizations are coming forth in, in the PBM space to say, we're going to play it straight. Um, the, the biggest and most um, interesting of these is Costco health solutions. So Costco put together a, a PBM for their own 300,000 lives and they, and it's built like, for those of us who are out in the world and buying stuff, it's built like you would expect Costco to build it. It's got uh, completely transparent pricing. It's got it's got a, a true evidence-based formulary. So they don't they're not throwing they're not urging you to buy specific drugs that they're going to make a bigger rebate on. All the rebates are returned to the purchaser. Um, they have a Instead of a 350-page opaque contract, they have a 14-page contract. They don't—they don't make any money except on the administrative fee, and and so on. You get the idea. Yeah, um, it's a very powerful model. And if you and if you move from a 
Express Scripts or OptumRx or, or CVS to, to a Costco model, you're going to drop your, your drug spend by something on the order of 35%. Um, there are a number of other organizations that, are, that have developed similarly structured models, but they don't have the scale and operational capabilities and, and ethical framework that, that Costco does. Fascinating. So we talked a little bit about orthopedics. We've talked a little bit about this PBM and kind of the pharmaceutical space. I think this is a good kind of segue topic. You and I have, you know, both very near and dear to our hearts and we've talked about in the past. Let's talk about advanced primary care and, and how it fits into all of this, you know, in a high performance ecosystem. And when I'm saying advanced primary care, like I'm talking about the groups that aren't just delivering in terms of outcomes and costs, but we're talking the full continuum of clinical and financial risk. So kind of your broad sense of advanced primary care and, and who the people you love in that space are. Yeah, so first, first, to my mind, there are sort of four levels of primary care right now. There's old fashioned in the wild primary care that has eight to 12 visit office, uh, eight to 12 minute office visits. They're seeing as many patients as they can in a day. And, and they refer 25 to 35% of all the patients they see downstream. Um, the next level is, and they're, they're, they're mostly doing old fashioned primary care. There's, they're, they're seeing fewer and fewer ears and, and noses and throats, and now they're, they're, they're trying to take care of all the comorbidities that walk in with each patient in, a, in an eight, eight or 10 minute visit. It's impossible to do, and it's very corrosive to the healthcare system. It also puts specialty physicians in charge of the system, puts them in, in control. Um, the next level is direct primary care, which which is where people provide more time to patients in a concierge manner, and they claim to get great results, but nobody appears to have any data because they haven't invested the, the hard dollars required in analytics and, and um, other, other tools that are necessary to manage risk. The third level is what I, is what I think of as, as advanced primary care, which is where you sort of use primary care, as, as you said, as a base to manage clinical and financial risk full continuum. Your, your big contribution there is managing care and costs downstream and changing, the, ch changing care and cost patterns that have been long ingrained by the fee-for-service system. You can go a step beyond that into what I think of as the super clinic model where you're taking an advanced primary care group that's, that's focused on managing risk and you're, you're hanging off of it or embedding inside of it high performance specialty services like musculoskeletal, like cardiometabolic, like, like drug management. You're hanging those off of them so you're keeping the patient at the level of primary care as much as possible while at the same time you are keeping patients from going downstream into what are really predatory environments. 
and I, I see there are a few organizations that are in that last category. Iora appears to be in that category, ChenMed, uh, possibly HealthStat, um, there, but there are relatively few organizations that are doing that. Another one is Vera, Vera Whole Health out of Seattle. It's a very good primary care company and so on. Um, getting primary care practices to change and to start understanding that their, their real job is to manage clinical and financial risk, that's, that's been a heavy lift because, oh, I bet. because all the reimbursement models are aligned against it. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. So let's, let, let's talk about the, the reimbursement models and this whole reality of misaligned incentives, right? So you and I have known each other for years and, and I've always enjoyed our conversations right because no matter which way we were going we knew i knew that we were you and i were going to end up in the in the same place which is right. like how do we take this old paradigm right and blow it to pieces right so this world of underperforming you know legacy systems you know horribly unpredictable and often awful outcomes runaway prices and things like that but one of the things that's always intrigued me is if you do 30 of those calls with all these people that claim to have the silver bullet and for every 30, you find one of them, right? Who's going to significantly lower costs, drastically improve the outcomes. You always said something to me that was, that was so interesting. You said, Jim, I meet all these bright people and a lot of these people have incredible solutions and they're dumbfounded because they have solutions that lower prices and improve outcomes. And all the people they talk to are uninterested in those two things. Right. Yeah, that that's a really great segue. Um, one of my clients who who runs a an extremely interesting company that we ought to talk about. It's called Medisync, and it has developed. They have developed an AI-driven tool to guide physician prescribing precisely for major chronic diseases: hypertension, diabetes heart failure, asthma, and so on. Um, he, to, to give you an example, 48% of the hypertensives in America have it under control, meaning have their measures are within tolerable limits. With, with his tool, that number goes to 95%. I mean, that's a profound improvement. And so he, he said to me, he said, I, I go to health plans, I go to hospitals, and I say, you know, I can show you how to get way better health outcomes at much, much lower costs. And he said, but nobody's interested. <laughs> and, and that's the conundrum, because, that, because the majority of, of healthcare interests are focused on how to make it cost more, because the, the more it costs, the more they make. I can show you... A, a, a table that I, I update every six months or so that shows major health plan stock price growth since 2009 when the ACA was, was passed. Yeah. Major, the major health plans have grown four to 6% per quarter for 45 quarters. I mean, it's, it's astonishing growth. It's, it's 
uh, typically about twice the Dow Jones and twice the Standard and Poor's Index. I mean, so the, the message there is people in healthcare make more if it costs more. That's what the incentive is to do. So what we have to do is create models that win as a result of making it cost less and having better quality, and they win on the volume and, and reduce the number of players in the, in the system. And that, that I think is one of the, the main arguments for high performance healthcare organizations is that if you really wanna change the system, if you're Amazon and, and you're putting together Haven and you're trying to come up with a new model, the real, the real opportunity is to use high performance services only and scale the living daylights out of them. I mean, why use conventional orthopedics if you can do it for half the money and with better outcomes? Yeah, I love it. Okay, I'm gonna, we, we've got some good questions. And this first question is from another person, but in this case, according to Brian, I think this person can swim underwater or breathe underwater and see at night. So I've never, I, I've never met Jeff Hogan, but I know that you guys are close. Oh, he's, so, he's disreputable completely. <laughs> so Jeff asks a great question. I'll hear question. about that later. <laughs> yeah. You know, what does, and what Jeff, does Jeff have to say? Yeah, Jeff, thanks for joining us. And, and Brian says, I got to meet you. And I apologize, I've never made that happen. So here's, here's Jeff's question. Many primary care practices shuttered when COVID hit, right? Many are reticent to move to global cap arrangements. Can you talk about your vision for post-COVID primary care, longitudinal virtual primary care, the opportunity for global capitation as a means of making primary care more valuable and potentially more sustainable, more accessible, and more consumer friendly? That's a whole lot of stuff, but I know you know Jeff well, so I know you'll do fine on that. Well, it's typical, Jeff. It's a loaded question, but um, <laughs> he's exactly right. I mean, what we need to do is move away from face-to-face -face visits. 80, 85% of all primary care can be done virtually. And if you do that, it, you, you move things along more quickly. You can see, you can take care of a lot more problems quickly. Um, it's, it's a way better model. And, and we're, we're now convincing health plans. I mean, Jeff, Jeff and I have been talking about this very recently to put to put primary care at global risk, put them on a cap, allow them to, to put the systems into place that allow them to optimize their performance within that cap, and that'll change the front end of the system and the, and the way that, that total risk is managed. Um, right, which is a great point, right? So I talk to you know employers all the time, just like you do, and, and employers are upset and they're kind of they're fed up and they're keep getting bad value, not good outcomes, increasing price. But you bring up a good point. Changing how things are paid for is important, right? Because it's hard for me as a purchaser of healthcare to complain about the behavior of, of the healthcare providers when I'm paying them to act that way, right? I'm paying for volume, right? So if I'm paying for volume, it's a big kind of keep my fingers crossed ask that I'm somehow going to get value miraculously out of that. Let, let's talk for a minute about another company that, that Jeff and I are, are very familiar with called ConfirmEd, which was developed by a primary care group. ConfirmEd has, has established a national virtual specialty care network 
with 200 specialists in it. So these are specialists who see a patient virtually. They don't have a dog in the fight. They do the evaluation and they make recommendations. It turns out that 40% of, of the referrals that primary care docs make, they already know what the problem is and they're just sending it to the specialist to get it done on a face-to-face -face basis. The other 60%, they're uncertain what's really going on and they need the specialist input. So, they, so if you send them to, a, to them virtually, um, they, what, what ConfirmEd does is they watch what they call the conversion rate, which is the, the, the percentage of specialty virtual visits that are followed by a specialty face-to-face -face visit because it needs that follow-up. It turns out that number has typically been below 20%, which means that, that 80% of the 60% of, of visits that were uncertain don't need to have, don't need a face-to-face -face visit, which means that they avoid the diagnostic and procedural costs that are typically associated with specialty care. And that drives down total healthcare spend more than 20%. Wow. Yeah, it's an incredible result. Yeah. Um, so this is a this is a really good example of, of making use of the technology in a, in a new and way better way. In in a way that can that can revise how all healthcare is done. Yeah. The the other benefit I I would I would add because I've spent a lot of time on this topic is that is that this kind of model that takes advantage of, of managing, this, managing the, the bulk of care from the, from the primary care base, moves the center of power in healthcare away from the specialists and back into primary care. And primary care becomes more and more about managing complexity rather than just doing the easy stuff and then sending everything on to specialists. Right, because now we're looking, we're talking about people, right, from ConfirmEd, to IMC to Costco that are making things easy, but they're making things easier for the for the patient, right? Like that's the exact shift we're talking about. How do we focus on the member first? So Brian, we're running out of time, but we have a, we have one more question I want to ask you, which I think hopefully we can give some practical kind of steps forward for some of the employers and advisors listening today. So this is this is a, a question. I don't think it's loaded, but it's from a good friend of mine who you know, Dr. Stan Schwartz. Who happens oh, to be yeah. my co-founder and our chief medical officer. So Stan hey, says, yeah. So Stan says he's intrigued by this concept of the four levels of primary care we talked about, right? Kind of the old-fashioned to the direct primary care onto advancing the super clinic. He says, how can an employer purchaser determine where they are in the moment right now, especially if they've already got some sort of a clinic relationship, either on-site or near site? Well, first they need to look at their at their data the performance data are they are they getting significantly better outcomes working with their current vendor and or are they getting much lower costs and if they're not getting either of those they need to find another vendor and they need to find a vendor who's had independent third-party review of their performance and been found that that's that they're willing to put their money where their mouth is and offer offer performance guarantees those those vendors exist out in the market and, and, you know, people like Jeff Hogan and you and me, 
we can we can point them to the right to the right answers, and and that becomes an article of faith. It's it's not simply that you know we that this is what our living is based on. It's based on the fact that all of us really want a much better healthcare system, and yeah. and we're and we've invested a lot of energy to figure out how it actually works. Yeah, and and, and I can tell you, I'm I'm beyond thankful for the amount of energy you've invested in this. I've always enjoyed our friendship. I've always enjoyed the pushing and shoving about who's got good ideas and where we can all get better. Uh, I'm beyond appreciative of your time today. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up because we're right at the 30 minute mark. To everyone listening. Yeah. Oh, Brian, I enjoyed it so much. It's always good to reconnect. Uh, you know, to everyone that took time out of their day to join us, I hope it's been useful. I hope it's been helpful. I hope it's been informative. Uh, I know it was kind of a letdown that Brian can't breathe underwater, but I hope it was still fun. Uh, I want to thank everybody. Uh, wait, hold on. We got, do we have time for one more question? As, as far as I'm concerned. Okay, so we just got one in from uh, Linda, uh, Linda Riddle. And she says, how would you suggest employers measure and evaluate the quality of their primary care, looking at the data as a start, but you have to know what you're looking at. Um, I think that requires specification of a bunch of metrics that, that evaluate the, the clinical side of primary care, but that also looks at, at primary care's influence over the whole continuum. So, I mean, that Linda Riddle is, is among other things, chief data scientist for the Validation Institute. So again, it was a loaded question. <laughs> um, and and I, would, I would hardly recommend that any vendor that you look at be validated for its performance by the Validation Institute, which says, says the performance that you're actually getting lines up with the performance that the organization lays claim to. Another way to look at it is, is to go a step beyond that and, and ask the question that the that the Health Value Awards asks, which says, says um, it's, it starts with, with having accurate performance claims, but what we really want to know is who's the vendor who's, who's superior in that niche of the market, and can you demonstrate, can you demonstrate that superiority? If I'm not mistaken, you've already been through that process. And yes, yes, we have been validated. Yeah, but that's a great question. And you know, it might be a fun project that I don't want to put everybody on the spot. But at some point in the near future, you know, maybe you and me and Jeff and Dr. Schwartz, we need to get together and, and push out the first kind of installment of the hackers playbook, which is, which is how you move from the hamster wheel to the super clinic. And what are the tactical things that all these employers can start doing? That's a fabulous idea. Let's do that. Yeah, so we'll do that. Okay, so before we wrap up, so uh, Patrick Long uh, had a comment here. And so, and he said, hey, I want to say thanks. Uh, I, I want to say thanks to uh, Brian. And the difference that Brian brings to his evaluation of any provider is all data, not hype. So some kind words, some kind words from the, from the crowd this, this afternoon. The peanut gallery, pa Patrick is in Chapel Hill in North Carolina. And I... I talk to him all the time too. Yes, you know, and and you know, Patrick, I'll have to give you a hard time. You know, you know, I got my undergrad degree in Lawrence, Kansas, the home of the Kansas Jayhawks, and 
Chapel Hill is very near and dear to our heart, right? Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, right? It's the basketball program that was born at KU. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> and we appreciate you guys. But hey, so everybody hit me up, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, let us know what's on your mind. Uh, together, we're going to go get shift done. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Jim. It was a pleasure. Uh-huh. A lot of fun. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed Flying Zero Studios on our destination to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. Be sure to subscribe and review our podcast. And don't forget to join us for each and every episode as we accelerate the shift to the member-first economy.